Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org forward slash resources. He says in chapter 3, there's going to be a cleansing of the priesthood and the raising up of Jeshua. This is the both a an indication of who Jesus the Messiah would be raised up. And you see the parallels between that which was happening in the day and then the one, the Messiah, who would come and would cleanse all of us. Look at this. He now shifts. He talks about taking off the defilements. Those who have rejected. He speaks to Satan, the accuser. Chapter 3, verse 1. The angel showed me Jeshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, the accuser, of Satan, accuser Satan. It was there, and the angel said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusations, Satan. Yes, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. This man, like a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire. Jeshua's clothing was filthy. He stood there before the angel, and the angel said to the others standing, take off the filthy clothings. This is the cleansing The high priest cleansing. Verse, slip down to verse eight. It says, listen to me, O Jeshua, the high priest, and all you other priests. You are symbols of the things to come. Soon, I'm going to bring my servant, the branch. Remember we said the vine and the branches connect to the vine. Now look, the jewel that I have set before Jeshua the single stone with seven facets engraved the inscription on it, says the Lord of heaven's army, I will remove the sins of this land in a single day. Woo-hoo. Come on, judgment day, and it's going to be amazing. Then he speaks in chapter 4 of the lampstands. It's a intriguing, the two olive trees. My mom has often looked at this one and said, I'm looking for the revelation of this. But a famous scripture in verse 6 of chapter 4, this is what the Lord says, it's not by force and it's not by strength. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. Hold that thought later. When the Muslims vacate in 1917, not one shot was fired in Jerusalem. It's not going to be by power, even though the force of Britain's army was there. And General Allenby was there, right? He he says, how am I going to take this place without a single shot? The prophecy was fulfilled, and there's a whole length of this, but let me just keep on. Another famous scripture in verse 10 of chapter 4, do not despise small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see it begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. He was speaking of the reconstruction of the temple that had been destroyed, and they were rebuilding Chapter 5 and 6 speaks of the flying scrolls and the chariots that goes on and says they patrol the earth and this wickedness that was there and all the defilement that takes place in the earth speaks of years and years of this darkness and defilement. But then in chapter 6, the last part, the crowning of Jeshua, this is again the declaration of the Christ that would come. In verse 9 of chapter 6, then I received another message from the Lord. Bring the gifts of silver and gold and Jew, to, from the Jews ex- exiled in Babylon. As they arrive, meet them in the home of Josiah. Accept their gifts. Put on, then put up the crown on the head of Jeshua, 
son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Tell him, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Here is the man called the branch. So they had a representation in the restoration of the high priesthood, which we know from the book of Hebrew, we now have the high priest, right? Who no longer has to bring the blood of goats in. That's that whole revelation in Hebrews. Then it goes on in chapter 7. But let's pick up again in verse, in chapter 8. The promise of blessings over Jerusalem. Chapter 8, verse 1. Then another message came. You see this prophet, he's, he's got a lot of active stuff going on. Chapter 8, verse 1. Then another message came from the Lord of heaven's armies. This is what the Zion is passionate and strong. My love for them is passionate and strong. And I am consumed with passion for Jerusalem. Now, the Lord says, I'm returning to Mount Zion and I will live in Jerusalem then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city. The mountain of the Lord of heaven's armies will be called the holy mountain. I'm sure the people were there is like, what? The streets are going to be filled and people will walk. The old people will walk with cranes, canes in this city. I have a picture in my office from when my wife and I walked from Jerusalem on our last trip. And you see the old men and the children playing. And you have the Orthodox Jews and in all of their garb. And then you have the Muslim children. It's just this amazing. This picture came and says, I've seen it. It says that you'll see the children playing. The women will walk in Jerusalem with the streets. And they'll sit together in the city square. The city will be filled with boys and girls at play. I'm sure at the time they're saying, that's impossible. It's impossible. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says, verse 6. This all may seem impossible to you now, a small remnant of God's people, but is it impossible for me, says the Lord of heaven's armies? This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. He uses this phrase over and over. If you don't think he's the commander in chief of the myriad of myriad of angels, he says in, in verse 7, he says, I will rescue my people from the east and the west, and I will bring them home again to live safely in Jerusalem. They will be my people, and I will be faithful and just towards them as their God. Verse 12, chapter 8. Once more, I will cause the remnant in Judah and Israel to inherit these blessings. Among other nations, Judah and Israel become symbols of a cursed nation, but no longer. Now I will rescue you and make you both a symbol and a source of blessing, so don't be afraid. Be strong and get on with rebuilding the temple. Down at verse 20, it says, The Lord of heaven's army, people from nations and cities around the world will travel to Jerusalem. We're going there in November. You want to come? Come on. It's, it's going to be an amazing time. And I believe prophetically what our president just did is going to open up a door for those that come, especially from this nation. That's my own heart and thoughts. But I want you to see the cities around the world will come. Chapter 9, he speaks of judgment against the enemies of Israel. Now, we know, and you'll see this, the UN resolution that allowed Israel to become a nation was set in motion over 100 years ago 
by Great Britain. And I'm going to walk you through this, and I'm probably, many of you probably never even heard of some of this history. At least I didn't remember it from school, or it went right over my head, unless you've studied some of this. But I want you to see, in 1947, the UN resolution, and in 1948, May of 1948, when Israel was born in a day, prophecy Isaiah get, can a nation be born in a day? The first nation to recognize Israel as a nation was the United States. You'll see that the people that are put in place in all of these conditions were raised up. Romans 13 says God places people in authority that he wants there, right? Trump is not somebody you probably want teaching Sunday school. Just saying. But that's not why we voted him in. Or God put him there, probably a better, right? All right, hold your thoughts there. I want you to see that there'll be judgment against those nations that have come against Israel. I just thought this was interesting. Remember, 2,500 years ago this was written. In chapter 9, it speaks of those and it goes on. It says Damascus will be judged in verse 2. Damascus is right now what's happening in Syria. Half a million people killed in the, in the rebellion that's going on there with Assad and what he's doing, Right? The Russians have propped them up. The Israelis have got troops there. We've got troops in southern area of Syria. We're taking care of refugees. We have it by a pretty good report of Israel's helping to protect there. Damascus would be judged. How about Gaza? We, Lieutenant Colonel Cohen, came from Israeli Homeland Security here, and he reported he was the Lieutenant Colonel that had to round up all of the Israel folks that lived in the area of Gaza and asked them to leave. I think it was close, right, Neil? It wasn't 10,000? 10,000 had to be removed. Then it was given to the Palestinians, and that has been nothing but bloodshed and hatred ever since. Well, Arafat, who was the head of the Palestine Liberation Organization at the time back, he died mysteriously. And it says here in verse 5, the city of Ashkelon and the, will see Tyra fall and will be filled with fear. Gaza will shake with terror, as will Ekron, and their hopes will be dashed. Gaza's king will be killed. Interesting. I don't know. I can't. The, it's just an interesting fact. They actually exhumed his body to find out if the Israelis had poisoned him. A lot of mystery and a lot of, they said, that they, I, I don't. They said he, he hadn't been, but I don't, hey, what do I know? But I do know that the Lord said he was going to judge those who come against Israel, those who declare that Israel should be annihilated. Those are the leaders out of Hezbollah in Lebanon, Iran, Yemen. Watch out. Verse 80 says, I will guard my temple and I will protect it from invading armies. I'm watching closely to ensure that no more foreign oppressors will overrun my people's land. Zion's king is coming. Here's now a prophetic revelation. Remember, 500 year BC. Now he declares there's a Messiah who will be born. Look at this. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in trumpet, verse 9. People of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming. He's righteous and victorious, yet he's humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey colt. That was Palm Sunday. We're going to celebrate that soon. Riding on a humble colt coming in 500 years before Christ. Come on, exactly. I mean, if, 
And I will remove the battle chariots from Israel. Now he shifts, I think, to a future. He says, the war horses from Jerusalem. I'll destroy the weapons used in battle. And your king will bring peace to the nations. That has not happened yet. But when the prince of peace comes, and we'll see this in Zechariah later in the chapter, he's coming as king of kings and the Lord of glory. And he's going to set up Jerusalem as his holy place. And you who love him and are born again, you're going to go there and be with him in that place. And you won't even need a passport. He'll be it. Because of the covenant, verse 11, that I made, I've now sealed it in the blood. Now that's the resurrection. I will free your prisoners from death in the waterless dungeon. That's when he went down into the earth. We saw that. It says during that three days, it says he led captives captive. All those who were in Abraham's bosom, he let them out. In fact, we see in Matthew, it says they wandered around for a few days. Those who had been righteous wandered around. Right? That's, whew, glory to God. And then they all went up with him, right? And so it's like, okay. So we see now, this is the restoration of protection, the promise in the rest of chapter 9. Look at verse 13 of 9. It says, Judah is my bow. Israel is my arrow. Jerusalem is my sword. See, there's such a stumbling block. The Antichrist spirit, they want Jerusalem. They want it. It becomes this intoxicating drink, he tells us later. On that day, the Lord himself will rescue his people, verse 16. Verse 15, the Lord of heaven's army will protect his people and defeat their enemies by hurling great stones. I wonder if that's missiles, just a thought. I know they had catapults and all that, but just, just a thought. Let's move on. In chapter 10, it says, the Lord will restore his people. It goes on, it says, I will strengthen Judah, verse 6 of chapter 10, and I will save Israel, I will restore her. Because of my compassion. Now verse 8. After the Holocaust. We know that there weren't too many left. From the few that are now left. They will grow as numerous as they were before. They've now surpassed that. The number that were murdered. And the number. They've now surpassed that in Israel. This is. It's, and, and in the world. I mean there's. I think it's close to 2 million. That live in the United States. Jews. Though I have, been, I have scattered them like seeds among the nation, they will still remember me in distant lands. And they and their children will survive and return again to Israel. This is 500 B.C. Now we know Ethiopia, the Russian Jews, the Chinese Jews, the Russian Jews have returned. The tribe in Ethiopia, they've now to bloodline connection to the tribe. It may have been the Ethiopian woman that Abraham married. The woman from Cush, right? This is like, whoa. They will pass safely through the sea of distress, verse 11. Verse 12, by my power, I will make my people strong. And by my authority, they will go wherever they wish. I, the Lord, have spoken. Chapter 11. It's interesting that there's so much revelation. I'm asking the Lord to give us wisdom. What was the, that the Lord says he took this in verse 7. I cared for the flock intended for slaughter, the flock that was oppressed. 
And I took the two shepherd's staffs and named them Favor and the other one Union. And I got rid of their evil, the, the three evil shepherds in a single month. I don't have the revelation of that. Called Favor. He cuts them in the two in half and he makes this covenant. He says, if I had revoked my covenant, in verse 10, if I had made it with other nations, but this was not, I made a covenant with them. The suffering flock was watered and they knew that the Lord was speaking through his actions. And I said to them, if you like, give me my wages, whatever I'm worth, but only if you want to. Say, they counted my wages 30 pieces of silver. So I took the 30 coins and I threw them into the potter in the temple of the Lord. 500 years before Christ, Judas sold out the Messiah for 30 pieces of silver. When he went back to repent, the priesthood said, we don't want that blood money. And he threw it on the temple floor. They picked it up and they bought a potter's field. Exact. Come on. You think Zechariah was hearing anything? Then he goes on in chapter 12. He speaks of the future deliverance of Jerusalem. This message concerning the fate of Israel came from the Lord. This message, chapter 12, verse 1, of the Lord was stretched out in the heavens, laid the foundations of the earth, formed the human spirit. I will make Jerusalem like an intoxicating drink, and I will make the nearby nations stagger when they send their armies to besiege Jerusalem and Judah. On that day, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock. All the nations will gather against it to try to move it. But they will only hurt themselves. The rest of this speaks, I believe, of nuclear war. Spoken of, I think, by Second Peter, where he says the elements will f- melt with fervent heat. It says fire will consume Look at verse, says, they will burn up all the neighboring nations right and left while the people living in Jerusalem will remain secure. Amen. I happen to know that Israel has the Samson bombs. Net, Prime Minister Netanyahu said many times, you think we're going to go quietly in the night again? You're wrong. Don't try us. The Lord will give rest, verse 7, chapter 12. The Lord will give rest and give victory to the rest of Judah. Verse 8, on that day the Lord will defend his people of Jerusalem. The weakest among them will be as mighty as King David. And the royal descendants will be like God. Like the angel of the Lord who goes before them. For on that day, this is a particular day. On that day I will begin to destroy. Now listen to this. I will begin to destroy all the nations that have come against Jerusalem. I will pour out my spirit of grace and a prayer on the family of David and on the people of Jerusalem. They will look on me whom they have pierced and mourn for him as if for an only son. They will grieve bitterly for the firstborn son who has died. Sorrow and mourning in Jerusalem on that day will be like the great mourning On the day in the valley of Megiddo, all Israel will mourn, each clan by itself, with husbands separate from their wives. The clan of David will mourn. The clan of Nathan, the clan of Levi, the clan of Shimri, 
Each of them, surviving clans of Judah, will mourn separately, husbands separate from their wives. They will look on the one. This is the revelation. I believe this is Romans prophecy that Paul said. There will be a day when the exact number of Gentiles has come to the Lord. And all of Israel will be saved. The revelation of Jesus Messiah, the one whom they pierced, the only son of the begotten one. They will then mourn, what have we done? What a prophecy. This hadn't even happened yet. So you have the promise of the first coming riding on a donkey colt. Then the one, the Messiah, who would be murdered, the only begotten son, pierced. And then all of Israel were probably somewhere in the next few years close to the fulfillment of that. Then a fountain of blessing, chapter 13. The dynasty of David and all the people of Jerusalem, a fountain of cleansing will come from all their sins of impurity. I'll remove all the false prophets. This is an interesting scripture here. Again, I just put it out as it hasn't happened yet. But I do want you to see a parallel. In verse 7, the scattering of the sheep. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, the man who is my partner. Now this tends to speak of probably the Antichrist and the false prophet just before the end. Because this has not happened yet. But it says that two-thirds of the people in the land will die. They'll be cut off in, chapter, in verse 8 of chapter 13. And I will bring a group through the fire, verse 9, and I will make them pure, and I will refine them like silver. It just so happens, I've studied some of the Iranian crazy prophecies, and I want you to see the Shia Muslims. This is an aside. You just take it for a grain of thought, and you look at it yourself. The Shia Muslims who make up the majority of Iran the imams in, who are in power currently in Iran, they have a, a theological belief that they are to let Islam go across the earth. They are to get a hold of nuclear weapons to bring nuclear destruction because it will usher in the 12th imam, their savior. In their hidads, the Shiite traditions, it says... One-third will die when this happens, and one-third will be killed. This happens to correspond to two-thirds of what I believe is coming through the fire. Now, the Sunnis, the other Muslims who are out of Saudi Arabia, right now, they are, they are clearly marked out against each other. you got a, the Iranian Shiites on one side. They're battling a war in uh, Yemen right now. You have Saudi Arabia who's leading a coalition of the other sets of Muslims against them. They're fighting a proxy war. We just armed up the Saudis. And so this is coming to pass. If you go, and I won't have time to get into Ezekiel right now. But if you look, it says, in the last days, in the days in the future out of Ezekiel 47, it goes on. And it says, I will bring them against my holy ones. I'll give you the exact references here. In Ezekiel, you can look it up later, the Lord's return. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's actually Ezekiel 37. If you want to look at it, look at Ezekiel 37 and 38 chapters. Just jot that down and see. But it says, this is the time they will come from the distant north. Ezekiel prophesies in con- conjunction with all that's taking place. In, in 38.8, it says, a long time from now, you will be called into action. From the distant future, you will swoop down on the land of Israel, which is enjoying peace after recovering from war and after its people have returned from the lands where they have been taken. You and your allies, a vast, awesome army, will roll down like a storm that covers them. This is that place. It says Gog and Magog and their enemies. Listen to the enemies. Verse 5, Persia, which is Iran. They changed their name in 1937. Iran, Ethiopia, and Libya. And Magog and Gog. They were the ones from the distant north. Draw a line straight up. And you can look from Moscow down to Israel. I believe at that point the alignment is in place. Who is arming Iran? Who is giving them missile technology right now? Russia. Right? This alignment is in place as we speak. We got Russian planes and troops in Syria propped up. They've now built a seaport at that base in Syria. It's in place. These things that were prophesied. All right, I know I'm off track. Let me get back. Help me, Jesus. I'm trying to give you, uh, I'm trying to cover the waterfront so you get the takeaway from that. It's not the details. I want you to have such respect and honor for the Lord tells you these things that you might be prepared to be ready. When you see these things start to come to pass, he says, be ready. All right, Zechariah, we're back in 13. They have just mourned over the revelation that they killed the only begotten Son of God. And it says the fountain of cleansing. And it says there'll be this war. It looks like, he says, he rains fire down. And two-thirds of the people are dead. Does that sound like revelation? When you add up all the things that the John the Revelator showed in the book of Revelation, half the population of the world is destroyed during that time. Praise God. If you're a pre-tribber, we're out of here. If you're a mid-tribber, we're out just in time. If you're a post-tribber, hold on. You'll be in heaven. It'll be fine. All right? Either way, we're okay. Either way, it's going to be all right. Now, in chapter 14, this one, the last chapter, this is a powerful chapter. It says, the Lord will rule the earth. He will come to Jerusalem. He will set up himself. This corresponds directly with John. The Revelation tells us that he will be the light in the city. You won't need light. There won't be any more day. You won't even need the sun anymore. He's there. The sun of light will be there, right? He says, he goes on chapter 14. The Lord will rule the earth. Watch for the day of the Lord is coming. When your possessions will be plundered right in front of you, I will gather the nations to fight against Jerusalem. The city will be taken. The houses looted. Women will be raped. Half the people in the population will be put into captivity. That's why you want to be in the ark of Jesus before this happens. Right? This is a good reason. I got to tell you, when I got saved, one of the re- I read the late great planet Earth, Hal Lindsey's book said, I'm not ready. <laughs> then the Lord will go out in verse two, Three, it says, he will go out and he will fight those against the nations who fought in times past. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives will split apart. This is the return, the second coming of Christ. The first, the rapture, I believe we're caught up together with him in the air. That's in Thessalonians. 
It's also in Corinthians. Those who believe in him will be caught up together with him in the air. So shall you ever be with the Lord. Many believe that's the rapture of the church. In chapter 3 of Revelation, after that there is no mention of the church until Revelation chapter 19. The pouring out of all the wrath and the judgment. God will not judge his own people. Those children that are his that are walking with him, you're out of here. I believe it. God will give you the grace to get out of here. But those who come against him in that day, who are not saved... This is what's going to take place. And then the war. We know that the battle of, this is the shortest battle. The king of kings in Revelation 19, the one who's been tattooed Lord of Lords on his thigh comes. And this is the shortest battle. It says he destroys the enemy with his breath. And that dude is captured and all of his minions and all those, that lo- and they get put in the barbecue pit. And it's sealed up and locked. Thank you, Jesus. Now look at what he says. He says, he's going to come. We know there's going to be this great earthquake. He told us that there would be this severing. There would be this amazing earthquake that would shack. During the Antichrist period, there's this time where it says earthquakes will increase. They're exponentially increasing now. Verse 6, on that day, here's the revelation. The light will no longer shine, yet there will be continuous day only the Lord knows what this, could, what this could happen. There will be no normal day and night, for that evening time will still be light. On that day, life-giving waters will flow. There we go. Ezekiel 47. The river flows from the throne room of God, right? Revelation 21 and 22. The river of God flows. There's life in it. There's new crops every month. And the Lord will bring his king, Right? Look at this on verse chapter 8. On that day, life-giving water will flow from Jerusalem, half towards the Dead Sea, half towards the Mediterranean, flowing continuously in both summer and winter. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. And on that day, there will be one Lord, and his name alone will be worshipped. One Lord, one God. All the land of Geisha and Jordan. Rimeon, south of Jerusalem, will be a vast plain, and Jerusalem will be raised up in its original place, and they will be inhabited all the way from Benjamin Gate, all the way to the site of the Old Gate, and the Corner Gate, and the Tower of Hanel, and the King's Wine Presses, and Jerusalem will be filled safe and last never again to be cursed and destroyed, and the Lord will send a plague on all the nations that fought against Jerusalem. Their people will become like walking corpses. The people will become, their eyes will be rotted out like socket. Man, this is like, in fact, when I read that, it sounded like neutron weaponry. When we carried them on the submarines I was with, those neutron weapons, before you can even hit the ground, you are vaporized. Man, it is not going to be good to fall into the hands of the living God. Verse 16. In that day, in the end, the enemies of Jerusalem who survived the plague will go to Jerusalem each year to worship the king, the Lord of heaven's armies, and celebrate the festival of shelters. Woohoo! The festival of shelters. And every cooking pot in Jerusalem and in Judah will be holy to the Lord of heaven's armies. All come to worship will be free to use any of the pots to boil their sacrifices. And on that day, they'll no longer be traitors in the temple of the lords of heaven's armies. 
I know, I'm jamming you. But I want you to, I need to, I need to finish. Now turn to your sermon outline. I'm going to give you a little more history lesson here that I, I don't personally remember this, but I, I got excited after I read some of the history here. I want you to see the first part of the outline. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem to be his holy city. Remember, I'm the Lord, I don't change. <laughs> Jerusalem someday will be full of livestock. There won't be enough room. I myself will be a protecting wall of fire. And anyone who harms you, my most precious possession, I will raise my fist and crush them. Many nations will join themselves to the Lord on that day, and they too will be my people. What our president just did opened a doorway for us. The mockers want to come against it, but I'm telling you, only nine nations, including Israel and the United States, stood in the Declaration of the United Nations. And you know who those nations were? I hadn't even heard of some of these. Well, I knew about Guatemala and Honduras, the Marshall Islands, Micronesia, Nora, Palan, Toga. These are less than 10,000 people in some of those island groups. But they obviously know about the Lord. (laughs) Those are the only nine nations that stood. This land of Judah, I'm in the top paragraph. The land of Judah will be the Lord's special possession in the Holy Land, and he will once again choose Jerusalem to be his city. Now, I want to cover some of the significance of what the president did in recognizing. First, we know I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. That's Genesis 12, verse 3. Find me a nation that hasn't cursed Israel and tell me how they're doing. Find me one. The United Nations, when you look at it, there were, our Congress in 1995 was filled with spirit-filled Christians and believers. And in 1995, they passed a resolution that said, we want to recognize that Jerusalem is the legitimate capital of Israel. That passed overwhelmingly in our Congress in 1995. The three, several former presidents, President Clinton, Bush, Obama, they all said they would, they acknowledged that that was the capital, but none of them acted on it. None of them. And then you get this character, what I think is a modern day Cyrus, who annoys a lot of people, who you wouldn't put in a Sunday school teaching class. I wouldn't. He wouldn't pass probably our ministry team. <laughs> Just saying. He needs some work, like most of us. But he's getting well counseled. I have pictures of them laying hands on him, spirit-filled men, pastors laying hands on him in the White House that was defiled by a former president in the White House, right? I believe that's been broken. The United Nations, number four, they don't get it. The United Nations doesn't get it at all. In fact, this is fact, and I'm not, I don't hate anyone. Except Satan, probably. I hate him, yeah. Where there's Muslim rule, you show me. Where there's Muslim rule, there's no freedom of religion and there's no human rights. That's just a fact. 151 nations voted against the U.S. on December 17, 2017. Only nine nations supported Israel's capital to be Jerusalem. Europe doesn't get it. Even our allies, Britain, France, Germany, they've drifted so far from biblical truth. 
Jerusalem and Zion are mentioned 661 times in the Old Testament and 156 times in the New Testament. The Quran, Quran mentions it none, nada. For 1,200 years, the Muslims had control over Jerusalem. Not once did they ever declare it their capital. Not once. Now, I want to shift and let you know that in number six, I believe we need to pray for England and, and Germany and Europe because they're being overtaken. They came against us in this, and yet, if you look at their history, number six, let me just give you, how many have ever heard of the Balfour Declaration before? Okay, praise God, you're better than me. Do you know what, it, what they did? Okay, praise God. Well, let me help you, help me and help those that didn't, right? Here's some history. The Balfour Declaration. On November 2nd, 1917. Now, what was going on in the world in 1917? World War I. World War I, 1914, 19, My grandfather, my mom's dad, fought in the trenches in Europe. 1918, the war ended. You had Germany and the Ottoman Turks battling primarily the United States, Britain, right, France. So World War I was a, a foreshadow of what was going to happen with Nazi Germany in, in World War II. But that was the alignment. But one of the major powers at that point was Great Britain. It was the power. In less than 100 years, what's happened? Great Britain, now this is what they did. In November 2nd, 1970, Great Britain favored the establishment of Palestine as the national homeland of the Jewish people. And this is a quote. And we will use their best endeavors to facilitate the achievement of this object. That was a declaration in Great Britain's courts. That was their policy, and they wrote it under the Balfour Declaration. Now, let me just read you some. I know I'm giving you a lot of information, but bear with me. The Balfour Declaration shaped history, and I want you to see God puts his men and women in place. We don't see this, but when you look back, you say, oh, Look who was in power in the United States. Look who was in power in Great Britain, who the prime minister was, who their secretary of state was. The Balfour Declaration, why is that so important? Why is it so hallowed among the Jewish people and evangelical Christians? But why is it so controversial among the Palestinians and the Arabs and the liberal politicians? Critical to international law. It was the first formal policy declaring the right of the Jewish people to settle in their original homeland. Amen. Inevitably, understanding the true meaning of this intention, clouded by differing worldviews and political biases, nevertheless, it was the first step by any nation to recognize the Zionist aspiration of that kind. For the people do not know or believe that the Old Testament, those who've read it, claim the biblical rights to the land belonging to the Jewish people dating back over 4,000 years. Just makes the liberal eyeballs roll in their heads and makes the Arabs claim ancestral alignment. One thing is certain, for the world in 1917, to even imagine a government making an official declaration to recreate a state of Israel some 1,800 years in its demise would seem impossible, but not with God. With millions of Muslims living in the Middle East whose religious teachings extreme hatred for Jews, their century-old anti-Semitism, even throughout Europe and in the United States, by the way, 100 years ago, 
this small little island nation of Great Britain. It says the sun never set on their empire. They would focus on the non-existent nation of Israel and seriously consider raising her up from the dead. Nevertheless, the hand of God, here's what happened in that year. 1916 to 1922, David Lloyd George became prime minister of the largest empire in the world. Great Britain, Great Britain controlled 1,300 million square miles of the Earth's landmass and 20% of the world's population. They were the great superpower. The man God placed at the helm was a Welsh Christian who had been adopted by a Baptist minister. He continued as a devout member of the Disciples of Christ Church his entire life. He had been brought up on the Bible, and in a speech during his visit to Canaan, he said, I learned about the Bible before I learned anything about Great Britain. He was a loyalist Zionist from the several decades before. But among those daily duties of the prime minister, Lloyd George was also an avid reader of the Bible. But in the midst of battling a world war and executing World War I, in the theaters of Europe and the Middle East, it took a foreign secretary like a mind-liked theologian who would concentrate on the homeland for the Jewish people. And it so happens, Arthur Balfour was the foreign secretary of Great Britain who worked for Lord George. Balfour, now look at his background. Balfour was a devout Christian his theology was one of his favorite subjects. His interest in the Jews and their history was lifelong. It originated under the Old Testament training Balfour had received from his mother in his Scottish upbringing. And he said the problem with the Jews in the modern world seemed to him an immense important right now. And this is a quote. He always talked eagerly that this Christian religion and our civilization owe the Judaism an immeasurable debt that we have shamefully ill repaid. That was his theological belief. In fact, two decades later during World War II, Lloyd, now listen to this, Lloyd Balfour's children took 180 Jewish children and transported them to Britain before the Nazis could kill them. Moreover, it so happened that the war cabinet of Prime Minister Lloyd George was made up of nine members, seven of whom, now listen to this, this is the War Council of Great Britain seven of whom were raised in evangelical homes, personally embraced evangelicalism. More importantly, six of them were raised in Calvinist evangelical homes, which were pro-Israeli. Back then in the 18 and 1900s, Calvinists were pro-Israel. They were restorationists who looked forward to the Jews returning to their homeland in the last days. So God raises up these restorationists in the right place at the right time with the right power, with the right influence in the middle of a war. Now, what about America? But before Prime Minister Lloyd George, remember, we were keeping Britain alive, both wars, right? President Woodrow Wilson, he said, if Prime Minister Lloyd George told Secretary Balfour, if we're going to finalize this, the Balfour Declaration, we need America to be on with us. They contacted President Wildrow Wilson. Now, it just so happened that Wilson was a pro-Jewish, the most pro-Jewish president in the history at that time. He appointed the first Jew to the Supreme Court, the first Zionist to the Supreme Court, and Wilson, about the declaration of Balfour earlier, the president 
He appointed also the first president as a Jew to Princeton University. Wilson was a Presbyterian elder of deep religious faith, the son of a leading theologian. He read the Bible daily, and he felt sorry for the men who did not read that Bible every day. He also prayed on his knees twice a day. In short, Wilson was the most Christian president in the U.S. at that time that we'd ever had. Had Lloyd George not had Wilson at his support, it's doubtful the Balfour Declaration would have ever occurred. i got to draw this to a close, but I just want you to see the history of this, and you can go on. I have the newspaper articles here. When General Allen, the British general, they, because the Ottoman Turks were at war, also not aligned with Germany, so they're battling in the deserts in Egypt and Sinai. At that point, biplanes had just come out, right? But there was a prophecy way back when, and I, I have the prophecy here. I don't have time to read it right now. But it said one day they'll fly over, right? And so Lloyd, uh, General Allenby was told, you need to take Jerusalem without firing a shot. And he said, how am I going to do that, you know? The Lord gave him a strategy. There was a prophecy that says, I'll try to read this. It says, the, the conquest during that time, God's strategy out of Isaiah 31. I'll just paraphrase it. So the Lord of hosts will come down and wage war in Mount Zion's hill. Like flying birds, so the Lord will, of hosts will protect Jerusalem. He'll protect and deliver it. He will pass over it and rescue it. Isaiah 31.4. There's an Arab proverb that the Ottoman Turks would have known about. The Arab proverb says, the Turks will not leave Jerusalem until the river Nile flows, to the, flows into Palestine and the prophet expels them from the city. Just so happens, remarkably enough, these events were highly unlikely to pass. British troops were stationed in Egypt and up to the events of this, Lieutenant General Arch, Archibald, Sir Archibald, one of your buddies, right? David, he said, surrender the city, which means that the prophet, after mysterious flying objects, here's what they end up doing. They had dug this, um, a series of wells, and the river started flowing into Jerusalem. So they saw the water come from the river. They had dug some canals and water just so happened they needed to feed the water. So the water's running from the Nile area. And then he says, get some flyers. And fly these biplanes. Now, they had never seen planes before. And they dropped the leaflets over the city and says, it's time for you to leave the city. And they knew that the water was flowing and the flying birds were over the city. And the prophet must be telling us to go. Without firing a shot, the newspaper is just crazy. You don't think God could do these things? Come on. He's an amazing God. It says, here's the, here's the newspaper article. It says, Jerusalem is rescued by the British after 673 years of Muslim rule. <laughs> and it shows a picture of General Allenby who took the city without a shot. They left one night and just left. Let me finish. Look at your outline. The Jewish state became a reality in May 14, 1948 under the, Jew, the UN resolution. But I want you to know 151 nations just voted against us in December. There were 35 nations that abstained, but there were 151 nations, I'm sorry, 128 nations against, 35 abstained, and only nine in favor. 
they said that we should not recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. But we who are supporters, and I know that our president has said he's moving the, the embassy there, and there's been riots and all sorts of stuff. It's kind of quieted down at the moment. So this is the place where we're living on the fulfillment of the prophetic. And when our nation stands in support of Israel, we will be blessed. So pray for our congressmen. Pray for our leaders. Pray for our president. There's tremendous amount of spiritual warfare that's got to be going on. Number eight, in 3,000 years, the Jews are the only people in Jerusalem who have ever had, had their capital as the national homeland. The Muslims, who had 1,200 years, never made it their capital. We know that Europe no longer promotes a Christian culture. They're blinded to the fact that Islam is overtaking their continent. I don't know if you heard the leader of Germany, Merkel, the other day. She's backpedaling. She realizes the millions that she's let in where they've told their women, it's not even safe for you to go out at night. Europe is on the wrong side of God's words, and we need to be careful. America, beware. We need to stand on the word, and we need to support Israel. The prophetic promises of love and safety and rescue throughout Zechariah and the future deliverance of Jerusalem, one day we will begin to see him destroy all the nations that have come against Jerusalem. The Lord's second coming has been prophesied. He'll come, and I have that in Zechariah, but also in Revelation 21. I want you to know that we won't turn here, but in Romans 11, it says, you Gentiles have been grafted in. Amen. You're the wild branch, the wild bunch. We're a wild bunch. We've been grafted in, but don't you be braggadocious. Don't you think that you can't be grafted out again. Right. Receive the blessing of God as he promised Abraham and his children. All right, I'm going to invite the ministry team and the worship team, if you'll come on up. I just want to pray a blessing over each family here. But I also would ask that you'd agree with me that words like this would stir us to be encouraged that God knows he's in charge. <laughs> yeah, he's really in charge of all things. He places his people in just the right places, whether it's a David or a Joshua or a Moses. The prophecies that are taking place right now, we know that Benjamin Netanyahu, the prophetic word over his life. Some of you know Michael Evans. He's the head of Zion for uh, Friends of Zion. FOZ, Friends of Zion. He has a prayer tower in Jerusalem. He's an, he's an American Jew. He had a prophetic word in 1976 when then uh, Yitzhak Rabin was the prime minister of Israel. And the Lord said, Michael, I want you to get up and I want you to go to Israel. I want you to give a word to the prime minister. He said, well, what is it, Lord? He goes, I'll tell you when you get there. How about that? He's a Jew from America, and so, you know, 1976, he happened to arrive, um, I think it was the day before, when the Israelis, Palestinian terrorists and some German terrorists captured 105 Israelis, took them to Uganda, yes. and threatened to, you release all the Palestinians that are in jails, or we kill your 
our hostages. The Israeli commandos flew to Uganda, and the raid on Entebbe happened in 1976. The only person killed in that raid was Lieutenant Colonel Netanyahu, the oldest brother of now Prime Minister Netanyahu. Michael Evans, who's in the Prime Minister's office, he said this Jew from, it, from the United States, he's got a word for you. He gets in the office, and he sits there, and the Lord doesn't tell him what the word is. They sat there, Rabin, he said, sat there for 30 minutes waiting. He says, let's just wait. If you got a word from God, I'll wait. 30 minutes. He says, he hasn't given it to me. He goes, well, now you'd think the prime minister would, you know, get this crazy guy out of here, right? He said, if the Lord gives it to you, come back. That night was the raid on Entebbe. Netanyahu, Lieutenant Colonel Netanyahu, was killed. The next day, Mike Evans is mourning with the Netanyahus in their home in Israel. And the word, the word of the Lord comes to him, and he meets Yishak Rabin. He says, now here's the word of the Lord unto you. This young boy, he's 12 years old, I believe, at the time. This man will be the prime minister of, of, of your nation twice when great things will come about in your homeland. He's now in his second term. We are living in days that our God is a God of great word and prophecy. So let's stand. Lord, we come in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, the Lord who is. The one who tells his prophets all that will take place. And God, I pray that we would get so excited about the word of God and the study of your word that we, we wait with anticipation. It says, look, wait. We want to be the ones, like in Matthew 25, that had their lamp filled with oil. We don't want to be like the other five that didn't have any oil, no Holy Spirit presence, no preparation for when the Messiah would come. We, be, we want to be the ones that are ready, oh God. So Lord, we pray now in the name of Jesus. Lord, if there's any here that don't know you, God, I pray that they would get excited about the Word of God and they would come and pray with one of our members of our ministry team and let the Lord open the day and write your name in the book so whenever He comes, you're prepared and ready. It's not a day to shrink back. It's not a day to be lax. He tells us in Revelation chapter 3 that the lay of the season, the sea in church, the one that's not ready, you've gotten sloppy, you've gotten... You've forgotten your first love. God, I ask you to create a fire in us. He says you need to buy gold and silver from me. You need to buy ISAV so that you can see what I'm doing. You think you're safe. You think you're okay, Laodicea. You're not. God, I pray that you'd open our eyes and you'd open our hearts to see. Lord, let us be a mouthpiece for the truth. Now, Lord, I pray a blessing over every family that's here, every representative, every child, every extended family. God, the fire of God, the opportunities to witness to their loved ones would come. The Holy Spirit, you would drop opportunities. Their pathways would be crossed. The loved ones, the prodigals would come back. Those that are trapped in any form of brokenness and addiction, bondages. God, you would send forth the heaven's armies again. You would deliver and you would rescue your people. 
For all of our children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be their peace. God, rescue our children, O God, that every one of them would know that the name of Jesus is the Lord. I ask you now, God, as we sang, let a light of fire in us, O God. Light a fire in us, O God. Now let your face now shine, we ask, from the president on his marriage, on his children, on the Congress, on the Supreme Court, on all those in government, governors, those in places of the judiciary. God, I ask you to surround us again with men and women who are not ashamed of the gospel. You would return the prayer to our schools. You would eradicate Roe v. Wade and the bloodshed against our unborn. God, would you raise up a people that know you as God, the one who is always going to be God. We praise you, Father, and we give you thanks and we give you praise today. Glory and honor yours in the mighty name of Jesus.